ain't a podcast that's flyer. You are now tuned in to Direct Misfire. Benson, you and Selick, tell everyone to tune in. Let's roll the dice, let me show you what we do win. A fantasy war game, play it smart and you win. What you know about the crystal pen and the retribution? Hero, hero, giants and knights galore. It's an adventure, this is Kings of War. Let's go. Hello champs and welcome once again to another Direct Misfire Missive. I'm your host Benson and joining me today as always is Selick. Hello. As well as Hugh. Yo yo. As we answer questions posed by you champions. So pull up a seat, grab a drink and let's get into it. Selick, I hear you have a bunch of challenging yet salient questions. Looking forward to going through these. Where would you like to start guys? Facebook, Twitter or the emails? From the top. From the top. Well, our list here starts in Facebook and okay. we'll, we'll jump into Jesse D, uh, who asked us a pretty straightforward question. So, Kings of War version 4, whenever that comes in, is there going to be more or less than 26 factions or armies? Well, I think it's impossible to say if there's more or less than 26 factions in version 3. So, how could we possibly know about <laughs> version 4? I'm going to guess less. I think they'll merge a couple of things. Yeah, I think they will as well. Um, I think if we have a look at some of the, the menly men's, I think it's starting mm, to make especially. sense now that they just have kingdoms of men and then throw in your flavor from there. So it'll be one army instead mm-hmm. of six or whatever it is. Yeah. I think that would be a good way to go as well. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. There's always the concern that when you just like retcon an army, though, that it, it's going to irritate a bunch of the player base because they've built special miniatures for that army or whatever else. But... I think, uh, you, you know, you've got to burn a few bridges at some point, one at a time, because otherwise it just gets a bit out of hand. I don't think they won't be playable. It'll just be a renaming type thing. So if they merge a bunch, then you still got your cavalry and all your special dudes. So just be like one larger army of humans. Mm-hmm. It's incredible, especially with the format the way it is, with so many like units that fulfill similar roles and that kind of thing across different mm. armies. It's incredible how just many factions there are at the moment. It's crazy. Mm. Yeah, there's quite a bunch. All right, that's one question down. Yep, so we'll, we'll, well, I think we're all in agreement that it's probably going to be less than 26 armies. Yep. So the, the next mm. one that Jesse D comes in is a bit of a, a hot topic, actually, at the moment. So it's more around the 3D printing aspect. And this is a pretty loaded question. Is it going to take over? So is 3D printing going to take over brick-and-mortar stores? And as a secondary question, have we, uh, Direct Misfire, gotten into 3D printing? Mm. Okay, first part. Is it going to take over stores? I don't think so. I think uh, stores will probably adapt and you'll find a lot of the stores having 3D printers so they Mm -hmm. can use that as a service. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's just something of having a location. Yeah, it's also worth remembering that like stores like Games Workshop that sell almost exclusively miniatures, although if you go into a lot of Games Workshop stores these days, you'll find that they they tend to be very small, run by one person and sell mainly books with a relatively mm. small number of miniatures and things available when compared to their whole range. So if you look at, even at a store like that, it's not necessarily super miniature focused. But for your standard kind of, you know, um, neighbourhood uh, store that sells miniature games and stuff. The reality is, I think, and has been for a long time, they make a majority of their money, at least most of them, from things like collectible card games, board games, other things rather than miniatures per se in the first place because the margin's mm. not necessarily big, the volume's not necessarily that big. So I don't think 3D printing really 
eliminate stores really or if they haven't adapted and focused their you know profit lines mainly on those those other things that aren't as affected by 3d printing then they they probably will suffer but yeah they could also use it to their advantage as well Yep, I totally agree with you guys. I don't think it will ever take over the brick and mortar because there's always going to be people like myself uh, loving the nerds, always out there to buy some miniatures and I don't have the space for a resin printer. Obviously, it's toxic. It needs quite a bit of space, good ventilation. Mm-hmm. And I live cleaning. in cleaning, yeah, all of these things and temperature controls and things like that. Sometimes you just want to go to the store and get something and just use it instead yeah. of having to wait for and I mean if 3D printing is taken over completely as, as you I think you were getting out there so that you could go to a store to get something 3D printed instead you know because yeah. you don't have the machinery at home uh, so you're not buying a model off the shelf but you're still buying a miniature from them in some way shape or form and maybe mm. it's cheaper or whatever but uh, it's certainly a lot less overhead wise for, for stores to do it that way yeah, that's right. So I guess that's a pretty good segue into that second half of the question. No, I haven't got into it at all. I don't have the space for a resin printer. Mm. I haven't either. Um, yeah, I think we, I think we're at a point now where miniature printers at home can get you like a pretty good effort for terrain and maybe some basic miniatures, certainly tokens, things like that. For, for a fairly low cost, you can get something affordable. To get like miniatures in the in the realm of something as good as what you'd buy out of a box from Mantic... Uh, you really need to spend pretty big bucks and I don't really want to go there yet. Apart from anything else, I don't churn through miniatures. Well, <laughs> I was about to say I don't churn through them that fast, but I, I think I still probably buy, buy plenty. But I yeah. never, you know, I'm not a person that paints like multiple mm-hmm. armies a year or something is going to really save mega bucks on, on 3D printing just yet. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. What about you, Benson? Uh, I think we've just skirted around it because... Old mate Andrew has a 3D printer, so if we needed something, we've asked him to print it for us. But yeah, I don't have the time or the uh, um, funds for a decent printer. And I reckon if I did get one, I'd use it for a couple of weeks and then don't have anything to print. Yeah, I think that will change though. I think in the future, both the prevalence of 3D printing available stuff, like like you know the actual. Um, what are they called? Selic scripts or something? Uh, the STL files. Yeah, the STL files. Like they'll become more and more available, no doubt. And also, just you know, the cost of the printers themselves will come down to the point where you kind of go, "Oh, I really like that that new thing that someone's created," and you just go out into the shed and hit a few buttons. Mm. That's definitely the future, I think. Hmm. Yeah, and some of the the patreons that you can subscribe to, like they are pumping out armies uh, every every couple of weeks, and it's pretty amazing i'm not sure how i obviously don't have a 3d printer so i'm not sure how they translate into prints and their quality but mm. um some of those uh 3d renders look exceptional mm. yeah the next question is very similar uh but it's more targeted to what we think is going to happen to mantic games um and how what are they going to do to combat the rise of 3d printing so what would you say is a way to combat that benson Aim for the head. Aim for the... have a leader <laughs> that they can't rule. Um, no, uh, probably sell STL, official STL files of miniatures at a discount, maybe. Yeah, that okay. seems logical, right? And sell it, sell it themselves. But, I mean, yeah. any, any business, like, sell it, you and I are both in sort of the business of mm-hmm. transforming business to a, to a large extent. And, and, you know, I think you'd agree that if these days... 
business can't just afford to not adapt. Uh, you need to no. adapt with the times. You need to change constantly and at, at really at a very rapid rate in order to continue to survive and continue to be successful in the long run. So I think all miniature games, and I'm sure Ronnie and friends over at Mantic have been considering this for some time already, mm-hmm. um, you, you'd have to have to start to get like contingency plans in place where where your business model changes pretty drastically, I think, in the future. Yeah, and I think if we have a look at Mantic Games, they're, they're not the slowest to sort of pick up that digital change as well. So mm. all of the digital books that you can now buy, and we only have to look at other companies. I think it's Titanforge uh, that also sell their STL files now for the, some of their ranges. As, so I think that's mm. yep. that's going to be the way forward. It's just you'd have to have a look at Mantic's, obviously, all of the, the back-end finances to see what they've spent. You'd have to have a look at that and weigh it all up. You would have to assume that it's a lot more costly to, you know, to make molds and, and create actual miniatures and all those kinds of things than, than create an STL file. But mm. it doesn't mean that it's exclusively one or the other either. It's not black and white. Like we said, some people are still going to want to buy miniatures. And even if that um, popularity goes down by a significant rate, people people also argue that like people won't pay for STL files at one point in the future that, that you know, that isn't a business model that can survive because you can always pirate them or mm. get them for free from somewhere or whatever. But to that I say, like, what about Netflix, you know? Like, there, <laughs> there are plenty of ways to get everything you can get on Netflix for free, for example. But people are willing to pay a if, it's, if the price is right and they agree to pay for whatever that service is, people will ultimately pay. And convenience, I think, it's, it's proven over and over again in modern society exactly that right. you can monetize things that are otherwise relatively free, um, whether it's legal or otherwise. So I think it's definitely possible. Yeah. If you've got a good quality product at a reasonable price, people are happy to yeah. pay it. I think it was Australia that was pirating the most TV shows and then uh, once it became available to stream at a reasonable price, just people just switched over just for pure Ease. convenience. That's yeah, easy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've sort of obviously combated how Mantic would take on 3D printing and I'm just going to jump into Twitter for a moment here to, to get our thoughts Ooh. on the new Ratkin miniatures and the Elf Dracon riders. I'm not sure if you've seen all the renders that are coming through, the official ones. I like them. Oh, yeah. I think they look cool. I yeah. love them. I think they're awesome. Yeah, I really like them. They're, um, they're capturing what I would have really hoped Ratkin to be um, because... They're not just Skaven. They're not exactly the same as that kind of old GW aesthetic, which I think is great. I don't want. Mm. Them, I don't want just more Skaven miniatures because heaps of good ones out there already. Yeah. It's sort of, but it's it's capturing its own kind of flavor, um, and they're just beautiful. There's so much, so much, um, you know, improvement on on other miniatures that we've seen in the past uh, from Mantic. It seems like they just do each time they release something, it just gets better than the last. Like. I, I love the big grizzly rat beastie. I love the um, Skudzuluk or the Scud, as we Scuddy. call him. Scuddy. <laughs> he's he's rad. I'm gonna. I've already got a really cool, like uh, miniature as a stand-in for that guy for the Scud. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm gonna pick up the the new Scud anyway. And you know you've done a good miniature. I think when someone's willing to purchase your replacement miniature for one that they've already got i think that's mm. when you know you've really nailed it and as mm. far as the, the the model you know is concerned yeah i i'm not totally in love with the the dead zone crossover like uh, the gas masks and whatnot yep but mm. overall i think they're pretty cool 
Yeah, it's definitely got a World War One sort of yeah. feel. And I, mm. I think on Twitter there was a little bit of a chat there that um, that it was heavily themed around that World War One. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't I don't mind the gas masks per se, but I definitely agree that if I did have one criticism about the overall aesthetic. Oh, like completely and, and and definitely this applies in particular to their scurrier model which is of course you know we think of as a an assassin you know like the skaven assassin is quite a different looking model but that mm. sort of i see that they were going for something else and they were you're right they were doing the crossover but they're mm. definitely leaning a little too far into that kind of sci-fi realm i think I, I don't like it as much when they do that so the new the new death engine is a even though it's a nice model, it's quite a beautiful model. It's kind of a miss for me. It seems more like like a low tech futuristic game model rather than a high tech yeah. fantasy, fantasy game. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah that, I think the Death Engine was the only one that I was a little bit critical on. Uh, the other, I love Scuddy. Um, mm. I think mm. he is an exceptional model. He or she, I'm not sure. Looks pretty it. angry. It. They. Um, and the Dracon Riders. Uh, while I've I've got my Dracon Riders for the elves, uh, these. Mm. These guys look pretty handy, and I think... They look a whole lot better than the original. <laughs> they, they certainly <laughs> do. Um, so I think people will go out and buy them, for sure. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty cool, for sure. Point. There's not many of those kinds of models either. There's plenty of dragons, but there's not many kind of drakey-sized knights mm. available out there. So um, yours are awesome, so yours are really cool. But uh, yeah, these ones, as far as just something straight off the shelf from Manti at a very reasonable price... Ripper yep. model and the new rat beast man the double mouth thing oh, it creeps me out the, the belly rat, rat fiend yeah it creeps <laughs> me out oh, I do like the rank and file guys as well yeah awesome models mm. yeah alright so it's probably we've just mentioned uh, another Mantic game there which leads to our next question do mm-hmm. we think that Mantic games should reduce game system numbers to focus on quality over quantity so I think what this question means is should Mantic games stop supporting all of their games and just support a couple and then focus on those uh, from a quality perspective? Uh, well, it depends on how large their production is. Like, if they can juggle all those spinning plates... Is that a thing? Juggling spin... No. Yeah. Anyway, if they yeah. can <laughs> juggle the all them spinning, yes. <laughs> things, yes, then I don't see why they couldn't. Um, especially if they're doing, like, one-off games, that's fine as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um I can understand people's apprehension and they're just wanting them to focus on one or two games so they can get more stuff quicker. Mm. That's right. I think it's fine to diversify. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's difficult to know the answer to that for sure without being able to see their balance sheet, of course. And yep. ultimately, yeah. you want the the business to succeed. So if they do a whole bunch of, you know, if they throw a whole bunch of mud at the wall, as it were, um, you know, and they're making more money overall because of that, that's a good thing. But but obviously that can be detrimental as well. The the one I always think of as an example of this kind of thing in our sphere is um, Fantasy Flight Games. Um, they produce awesome games, excellent games, really high quality, you know, and they're mainly a board game company. And in fact, they're shifting over to that again. They, they had several miniature games there for a while with a Star Wars Legion and X-Wing and so on. And they've recently, um, Asmodee, their company, uh, they're... they're owned company have moved that over to to a different wing of their company that's focused more on miniatures so that ffg can go back to focusing on board games and that's that's fine that's good and that's a reorganization thing which might make a lot of sense for them but what Mm. ffg have done on multiple occasions which has really burned me as a consumer they're such a tease aren't they (laughs) yeah they they've released some like really great 
sort of TCG or something like a card game that I've got quite into, like the Warhammer one, for example. Warhammer Invasion back in the day was an awesome card game. Yeah. Support it for a few years and then just dump it. And it's one thing if you're releasing something that feels very much like a like a one-off, like this is a board game and here's a few expansions or whatever and we're done. Like that's the expectation mm-hmm. with that kind of game. But when you kind of have the expectation as a consumer and as a player, like you, like I absolutely do for Kings of War, you have this expectation that it will kind of go on perpetually, more or less, like eventually yeah. it's going to end, of course. Yeah. But you want support for your game ongoing. And when you're buying miniatures, it's such a expensive investment both in terms of actual money but also time effort and all those kinds of things that you you really commit a lot of energy to it so you want to you want it to be a long-lasting investment and when it if it dies in the ass because the company spread itself too thin and it is throwing too much mud at the wall and not being serious and careful about its um, its positioning then it can end up burning the consumers instead of actually you know, creating that wow factor because ultimately there's only so many people out there that are nerds like you and I who are, you know, going to keep on playing this stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. And, and I think Manti Games shouldn't reduce it unless it's a financial burden on them at the moment. So yep. I think mm. they're still a growing company f- from a branding point of view. They're getting out there into a lot of different systems, yes, and I think they will be able to have a look at, I think, Hugh, you said, they'll have a look at the ledger, they'll have a look mm. at games that are have it running at a loss, and then it will just be how much do we want to support that, how much do we want to carry it, and it will get to a point that they're going to reduce and say, all right, that one there, we have to stop. And yeah. I know, knowing Mantic and knowing the people at Mantic, they will want to support them as much as they possibly can outside of it. So through campaigns that are almost free to sort of get up online, that sort of things, but maybe not so much the modeling uh, aspect of it. Um, mm. I think that would be the only reason that Mantic would sort of reduce. They seem to be increasing every year. Um, the other thing to consider is that Mantic isn't just one building where they're making all the miniatures, etc. So they're getting all of the offshore. Um, so I think they're over in China. That is where they get a lot of their um, miniatures created. So it's not like they're limited by their capacity there. They're probably limited by money more so than yep. anything else. Which is a good segue for the next question. Uh, this one mm-hmm. here is backed by Jesse D again. Uh, so do we play any other Mantic games? So excluding uh, Kings of War, uh, what, what are the most interesting ones there for us? All right. How about you start? Yep, sure. So uh, I think I play, or obviously Kings of War, play that pretty yeah. Pretty frequently. Know that. And uh, <laughs> that the Walking the Dead. <laughs> the Walking Dead is, um, yeah, one of my little babies. Uh, I love to play it, and purely because I generally find myself at eight forty p.m. at night time, and if I'm not feeling a PC game, I can just throw some models on a board and play it by myself because it's solo compatible. Hmm. And I think that's it from the Mantic range so far. Right. And Hugh. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I don't really play any other Mantic games. I have dabbled a little bit in a few different um, games that they've produced in the past, like Dreadball, um, which I thought was really cool, but I just prefer the Blood Bowl aesthetic, I guess, because I'm a big mm. Blood Bowl fan. Um, mm. I've dabbled in Vanguard, as in we've played one game and I've got a uh, got a little, uh, what are they called, a warband or whatever. Yep. Um I am keen to play Armada. That's one yeah. I, I think we'll, I'll definitely pick up. Um, 
and probably thoroughly enjoy. But no, I haven't haven't dabbled in a lot of their other sort of big ticket items like uh, Dreadzone or Hellboy or uh, you know Warpath or those kinds of things as yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think I've played two games of Vanguard, <laughs> both of which I've enjoyed and would like to play more, but it, we just don't get around to it. Um, Dungeon Saga, that's one that we've played a fair bit. Mm. Oh, of course, um, yeah. And really enjoy that one. And would like to finish that, Spoon, if you're listening. <laughs> Let's lay up the time. <laughs> yeah, I've only played a couple of games of that, but I feel like it's Hero Quest done so much better. Like, that's, uh, that is a cool little game. I really like how it's sort of mm. timed and it feels like a bit of a race against the clock. I haven't played that that much, but yeah, you and Spoon have played through like heaps of the campaigns and stuff for that, right? Like you've been writing. Yeah, through. yep. And uh, we try and make it more narrative, so make sure that everyone hears the uh, prologue for the mission coming up and kind of play that out as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also got um, Star Saga sitting here, still in its box, because we haven't finished Dungeon Saga. So that's <laughs> that's a post-Dungeon Saga game, I think, instead of trying to run two dungeon crawlers at the same time. Just sign me up for anything with ships in it. I just really <laughs> enjoy that kind of game for some reason on the tabletop. Yeah. It just plays so nicely. Yep. All right. So the next one is a controversial question, actually. I think it's rubbish. Uh, whoever wrote this is terrible. Uh, mm-hmm. That terrible person is Matt Kroger. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, why is Hugh so much better at Kings and War than the rest of us? It's a good question. It's perfectly oh, sensible and reasonable, I guess. Uh, well, I don't know if it's got an easy answer, though, honestly. Yeah, I mean... You don't beat me very often, do you? No, no, that that drought's over. We know this. Like, I you haven't beaten me ever since I broke the the, the dreaded curse of Bensham. It took a long time, but uh, <laughs> no, no. Uh, um, in all in all seriousness, it's uh, it's just raw star power. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are the most power of gamers in oh. the trio. Well, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I like uh, uh, I like Ratkin a lot. That that maybe those two things are, uh, you know, aligned. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the one shred of evidence that actually supports this ludicrous question is yes, Hugh did actually finish. I think it was fourth or fifth overall um, in the last season of Kings of War rankings that we had in Australia. <laughs> so the Masters is rubbish. <laughs> From not playing any of these online tournaments that you guys have all been playing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Hugh is definitely the highest ranked in-game person so far at the moment. But, yeah, I don't beat either of these guys when I play. So I don't know what that <laughs> says about me. But I've just, got luck. I've just got lucky a few times. Benson tends to do... Benson's kind of the opposite of me in that he tends to do quite badly at events overall. Sometimes he does has some good results, but he tends to do worse at events and then be really like nasty, not nasty as a person, but nasty <laughs> as a like opponent uh, on you know off the table, like in a off the table is not the right word. Do you know what I mean? Like a in a in a just casual, casual pickup game kind of setting. He's a real mm. killer. Um, yeah, it's with the tournaments. Yeah. It's got. The anxiety and then like the the mental fatigue after like game two, then my brain just doesn't work very well. So I'm sure that all factors in. Yeah, I just get luckier at events. That's my main. <laughs> that's my main shtick. You know, I just roll better. <laughs> yeah. Now I've got direct misfire dice, so I'm going to be rolling lots of sixes for sure. Oh, oh yeah, they're actually they're really good dice. I'm surprised how well they roll. Yeah, they're I mean, really they're really they're legit. super balanced. Yeah, definitely yep. balanced. <laughs> uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll uh, 
have to you know give one to to people that beat me at events or something like that to get them get them out there in circulation. That's a lot hmm. of dice. Okay, <laughs> or is it? Uh, the, <laughs> the next one on Facebook is by Steve H. Uh, Death by Dragons, Steve. Um, so, what is the best army, and why is it Ratkin? Oh man, we, our our listeners just get did, did they, Kings did of they War, not, don't they? They, they do. just get it. Steve, did you watch or listen to the uh, tier list? I do believe I heard Steve just say yes. Just because you're top tier, does it clearly says what's the best army, not what's the yeah. highest tier. Is it aren't they the same? No, 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 no. <laughs> that was pure uh, competitive list writing, and that was before a time when Chaos Dwarves got an extremely minor nerf. So who knows? Like any, anything's possible well, now. Yeah, Undead's still top. So I was actually having a look at the most recent uh, call to arms. Results, right. Ratkin has one of the lowest win percentages at the moment. Interesting, uh, interesting. Yeah, I think we're only in like round three or four. Win but percentages so, yeah. and everything. If you, look, put it this way, right? Ratkin started in Mortal Empires in the, you know, in the separate book from the main book. Uncharted you know, Empires. They, they weren't a Mantic line. They weren't anything that was sort of officially supported. And just through the power of the people... They gradually grew to the point where now they're getting the best miniatures Mantic has to offer. They're getting them all out there. <laughs> they're becoming a mainstream mainline army. Of course, people are picking them up and they don't know how to use them yet and they're getting stomped on the table, but it doesn't matter because the inevitable horde of Ratkin will continue to advance until eventually we're at the cream of the crop ruling the uh, ruling Panther so as, like, as it should I be. I don't think Hugh has seen any of the goblin sculpts nah. at Mantic oh, release because they are Those hands down the best. Mint. Yep. They are bangers. Yeah, Bangers. definitely oh. front runners for the second best army. <laughs> best army. Well, I'm going to have okay. to cut you off uh, because <laughs> goblins are the best. Uh, and yep. we'll jump straight into the Twitter one. So this one here is from at Mantic Moments. So he's asked, he or she has asked three Late. different questions. And it is a, a little mm. bit longer. Ah. Okay. So in the Army Tears episode, we talked mm. about the differences between powerful lists with limited yeah. options and a diverse list that is good because of its diversity. Do we think that the differences should change the way that we look at army tiers? Do we think that that difference? Do we think that a difference should change the way? So we look I at think it's uh, like, do we think that diversity, like inside a list, should change the way that we look at the army tiers? So if you have a really diverse army, that that should be going up rather than just a, a power. Um, raw power build effectively. I kind of read it the other way around even if, if we talked about the difference between a powerful list with limited options because when we talked about our tier list we said there were a few armies that had quite a powerful list with limited you know, mm. but, but you know one particular build as it were or whatever mm. while it was a different army maybe had more diversity and we tended to rank up different armies with more diversity for the most part although there probably are a few exceptions that had a, a real power cut um, does it change the way we look at army tiers? Yeah, I think it did. I think it did for us. Yeah, I think we took it all into consideration when we mm. went through that. And I, I know that we talked about, particularly when we dove right down into some of the armies, that we'd only talked about some of the more stronger units. But when we did the rankings, we didn't just look at a build with those units on it. We looked yep. at the entire army list and multiple different builds inside it, which I think we readily mentioned. And mm -hmm. if you 
mixed and mashed all of them, you'd still get an extremely strong army for the ones at mm -hmm. the top and usually a pretty low one at the bottom. I think a good example of the ones down the bottom was the Slave Rats. Um, I had them right down the bottom pre that episode and I think we bumped it up one after that just purely because of the options that came in from the Chaos Dwarves. Yep. 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 Chaos Dwarves, you know what I mean. Abyssal Dwarves. Why can no one remember the names of these things except for me? <laughs> I don't know. Like I remember the names of some of the armies, but for some reason, Abyssal Dwarfs just, I don't know, yeah. Chaos, I guess, has got its, got its teeth into me, man. What can I say? Yeah. But you don't even remember the name of, of your Ratkin units. <laughs> yeah, no, they're all Ratkin, aren't they? They're just, they're just awesome champions with tails. What else? You know, we can just call them some <laughs> version of that and it'll be fine. Hopefully that's answered that. I did notice that the tier list episodes generated quite a bit of discussion lads so mm. it seems like that yeah. might be something we should follow up again in future um you know to do an update at some point i found it amusing some of the comments are saying we can't put um the, the, the armies in a list and say one's more powerful than the other because it's all about uh, the player and then shortly after they say in maybe in a different thread why is this so good how come this army's better than this one. It's like they forget what they just said before. Yeah, mm. It's also worth calling out there that uh, we put Undead and Abyssal Dwarves at the top. They're yep. currently with the highest winning percentages in uh, the and Clash of same Kings. Same with Night Stalkers. Mm. Yes, Night Stalkers. Very mm, you might have been onto something with those Night Stalkers. But, uh, but honestly, I, I think that that's a meta thing. To That's yeah. just what I'm throwing out there because there's it's not a really shooty meta and you can tell it's not a really shooty meta by the fact that you know, um, Chaos Dwarves and Undead are tippity-top. We, we were just discussing this. Abyssal Dwarves. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> seconds ago. All right. Next one uh, is in our Helpies Rift episode where we went through all of that. The discussion of units going from irregular to regular mm -hmm. uh, was that it offered a very little effect, even though it's yep. all about diversity in the list building. How come? It's because so much of the list already unlocked stuff so you're turning those irregular units regular i mean unless you're spamming those regular units that can now unlock it really doesn't affect anything mm. Mm. I, I tend to agree so in i think it was goblins uh that had the chariots, chariots yeah. yeah and orcs that we did straight after that it didn't actually offer any benefits you never had an, an unlocking issue the other ones that uh, i would mention about the irregular to regular is that some of them went from irregular to regular, but then changed to a swarm. So they still didn't right, unlock. Right, so they still didn't unlock. So yeah. all it meant is that they couldn't be allied in. So, yeah, I think that's that's probably the only reason. That's, that's yeah. definitely one of the reasons. I suppose one of the others that we say that, you know, it, it had little effect is... not. It's not just because maybe the unit wasn't super effective anyway, but in some armies, some armies like, say, Kingdoms of Men, for example really struggle to get enough unlocks. Not so much that they don't have lots of awesome unit options to unlock, it's that they want a lot of heroes. So mm. because mm. if you want to have three war machines and six heroes, then you need nine unlocks. Uh mm. well or or you know a few hordes or whatever, but you know how it works. But if you if you need all those unlocks, having one extra unit that's kind of neither here nor there, like chariots, become regular doesn't necessarily change your army build all that much. You might trade one unit for another. More likely, you won't. The ones that were more impactful were ones like Dracon Riders becoming regular because that just means you see less spearmen, more, you know, you don't necessarily see an extra 
unlock actually occur. You don't see an additional mage in an army necessarily or an extra no. dragon or an extra uh, war machine or whatever or an extra monster. You'll see less spearmen, which I think is a shame. And the, the, when it makes that kind of impact, I think it can be negative, um, but it can also be really positive when it opens up those new builds as I think Mantic Moments was insinuating does yeah. did happen for some armies, which is cool. No, totally agree with that sort of assessment there. Uh, the last question from the Twitter is, does the game need a third unit type that does not unlock, but also is regular? Like a swarm? Yeah. That doesn't unlock. Yeah, so also like regular. a swarm. So you, can, yeah. so you can ally it in, I'm guessing. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah. I was. It took me yeah. a minute to realise what... I didn't realise that's what it meant. I thought... I was going to say no because that wouldn't matter, <laughs> but I guess it. I guess it would. But if if that unit type existed, yeah, I guess if it's just there primarily for being allied, how would that be like interesting in any kind of fluffy way? Maybe if the mm. if it was a bit of a uh, you know mercenary kind of vibe, yeah. like that could That's be the only cool. thing I can think of, or maybe some sort of summoned creature. Yeah, mm. I wouldn't say the game needs it. I don't think it. In a game with 26 factions and an incredible amount of diversity in most of those factions, uh, having more sort of variety or, or encouraging allies rather is uh, mm. not necessarily, I wouldn't say it's needed, but it probably wouldn't hurt. I mean, if, if there were some cool mercenary units that you could sort of take in a fairly flavorful way, but I think there's quite a bit of danger there as well because it risks some pretty severe imbalance. If they release one mercenary unit that's, that's sort of a neutral unit and it's just really a little bit too powerful, a little bit too cheap or something. And then suddenly yeah. you see this like obscure sort of regiment of renown turning <laughs> up in every army, then that, that would obviously be a pretty big negative for the game. So, so yeah. that unit type would need to be sort of just okay and not super hot. Yeah, not, I'm not super keen on it. Um, it also like does weird things to armies, which theoretically you can do to allies with allies anyway, right? Like you can go... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ratkin don't have a heavy cavalry unit so I'll put a heavy cavalry unit in as my ally or whatever yeah. yeah, you can already do that really so maybe that's not such a big problem you have your, your ogre shooters in your uh, you can't do that anymore but <laughs> because of how <laughs> annoying it was but yeah <laughs> you have your like you know powerful niche unit but if you did it with a lot of finesse I think a, a mercenary unit that was flavorful could be really cool but I don't mm, see yeah. another purpose for really in my mind for a regular unit that doesn't unlock so to answer the question, it doesn't. The game doesn't need it, but it would be, it'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be cool. I'm just not sure of the frequency that you'd ever have it. So we've been talking about a unit. Um, would we need a, an extra rule or an extra unit type for it? I just don't think it offers too much, in my opinion. Hmm. So we jump over to Adam O. Now, before we get into Adam's questions, um, he is starting up a Kings of War group on the outskirts of Houston. Um, so if anyone is sort of in that sort of area and sort of uh, wants to sort of help Adam out, he's still starting out in the game, feel free to reach out to me and I'll put you in touch. I'll make sure that Adam's obviously okay with me getting his details out to everyone. But um, yeah, it should be good to sort of grow the scene in Texas. Mm -hmm. I know that they already download a lot of our stuff here, so there must be a pretty thriving scene there at the moment. Fantastic. So we'll jump into his first question though. Such a matchmaker, Sally. Uh, when we talk about out-of-the-book scoring, so the, the win-loss draw, mm -hmm. uh, it feels to Adam that there is a lack of dynamic scoring inside Kings of War. 
Mm-hmm. So what other score? How do we feel about the out of the box scoring system? And what other scoring methods have we tried? I think just the win loss draw is a bit. Uh, it, it doesn't convey how close games often are. Yeah. Um, blackjack, I think, is fantastic for that. Yeah, there's certain gaming systems that win loss draw can work really nicely for. For example, like something like perhaps Malifaux is an interesting one for that because whether you won eight points to one, which could be like a massive blowout, sometimes it's mm. only on like a knife edge, while as other, in other games a three-four difference was a was a massive blowout because it, it not doesn't the points doesn't necessarily reflect how the game actually actually went. Um, mm-hmm. While as in Mantic in uh, in Mantic in uh, Kings of War, <laughs> there's a number of ways to really encompass that where you through a combination of how much of your opponent's army you kill and also how successful you were at the various objectives. So there's, there's, yeah. it's, it's quite easy to get a spectrum of how successful relative to your opponent you were in a game. Uh, so win-loss draw doesn't work as well for me. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, so totally agree. Out of the book, rubbish. Um, I just think it doesn't represent like what Benson said. Um, I think blackjack, so just to expand on that a little bit more, so that is a, an out of 21... So you really have to be belted to lose twenty one zero, and I think even after you sort of probably around turn four, you can generally see if you are going to lose the game. You can really change your playstyle to maximise your points. So mm-hmm. uh, to win the objective is to win the game, and you start off. I think it's on fourteen, and the loser would start off on seven, and mm-hmm. then after that it goes into attrition or how much you win the scenario first up, and then it goes into attrition. Mm. So you can really start to. Con- shape the way you, you're playing in those last two turns or three turns to really get the most out of the game. And I think nobody is disengaged or not many people are disengaged on that fifth and sixth and seventh turn while they're still trying to grapple for points in a tournament setting. So yeah. I think that's what uh, Adam is referring to here as dynamic scoring. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Northern Kings, uh, they've got their own version of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost the same logic that's in it uh, obviously their scoring's out of like 25 or something yeah and with that one points get don't get taken away so if you win you just get points if you lose you just get points you just don't get as many so i think those two systems i don't care which one you'd use i, I personally preference blackjack yeah i feel the same it's like to get a maximum score you really need a massive blowout as you say like if you imagine a six objective game in a 2000 point game you basically need to kill 2000 points of their army lose like you know, 200 or less and get all six objectives. Like that's the kind of thumping that yeah. needs to occur for it to be a 21 zip. So if you say got, like like Selleck said, ultimately it's still determined by the objective. So if you got five objectives and they got, uh, well, let's, let's say you got four objectives, they got two and there was like a close fight over that last objective at the end or something, especially if you it rewards you for playing the objective. So say you generally in a lot of the rulebook missions, you have to overextend a little bit. You have to put yourself out there in order to achieve the objective. So Mm. if all other things being equal, equal armies and players and everything else, the person who sort of achieves more on the objective can tend to be, can tend to lose more miniatures. Uh, At least Mm. it can go that way. That's pretty generalist, obviously. But if if that's the case, what ends up happening is you get like on that kind of a 4-2 scenario where you've just captured that last objective and prevented it from being a draw you might lose more models and then that 17 
that's that seven to fourteen win might get adjusted to say like a you know a nine twelve or something like that. So it brings it closer to a draw, which closely reflects how close the game was. And I just find that with blackjack more so than with the Northern Kings scoring system, at the end of the game, I I don't recall ever really seeing a score sheet where I went. That's just completely not how the game went at all. Unless yeah. someone rolled yep. a double one at a critical moment and then their whole army got deleted. <laughs> but that's not the scoring system's fault. <laughs> that's it. So Adam's last question here is, what armies do y'all personally enjoy? So I think Hugh will start off with you because this is going to surprise everyone. Uh, I don't know um, I don't know what which, you which army y'all enjoys, but for me, I'm a Rat King okay. guy through and through. Uh, I do have a Undead army as well. Um, I do have a lot of other miniatures and have owned other armies in other game systems in the past, but um, never Kings of War. I've also borrowed armies for tournaments, played a few online tournaments and things as well with completely different armies. But uh, yeah, I just keep coming back to my my ratty boys. That's where my heart lies. Um, And yeah, that's where it's at. I find, what list do I generally run? Everything, (laughs) every single type of list you can possibly run within an army. I'm very eclectic like that. I can't really decide on one list that I want to, I'd, I never run the same list in two different events. I don't think I've seen you run a gun line. I don't like... Yeah, that, okay, that's fair to say. I don't like... I don't tend to like really skewed lists. And if I was to generalise about what lists I like to run, I like to run sort of bit of everything lists that have one of these and one of those or whatever. Like even within Ratkin, that's not a gun line at all. I, I have run two shock troop hordes a few times, but that's about as spammy as I ever get. I don't. Mm. I don't run like, you know... 10 regiments of one thing or, or um, you know, three or four war machines that are the same or, you know, what have you. Uh, I, don't, I don't enjoy that very much. I like to have diverse mixed arms kind of lists. So those kind of lists I enjoy a bit the most that have like a little bit of shooting, a little bit of tricksiness, a little bit of manoeuvrability and, uh, you know, a little bit of hardcore, you know, infantry lined up as well. So a bit of everything, yeah. that's my style. Personally, my army that I enjoy the most is probably Kingdoms of Men, actually, and that's for exactly the same reason as you. It participates mm-hmm. in all the phases. It offers quite a bit from a, a fun and enjoyment perspective. I think it's a really balanced list, and it's fun to play against and with. Um, what list do I generally run? Exactly the same. It's got to be balanced. It's got to, I think the most I've ever taken is two of a unit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe in spamming all the good stuff and leaving out the bad stuff or put even some of the, the cheap stuff just to make sure that it's going to be more of a war of attrition and just try and get on the objectives to win a game. That's that's not how I play. Um, but yeah, that's just how I enjoy it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It does make it more fun, right? And Benson raised a good point like, we don't play. We're not gunline players. None of us are gunline players, and it's it's because we like to engage. I think with the opponent on every different phase of the game, as you say. And if the other thing is, and this is probably a bit, um, uh, maybe a bit debatable, but I think that it's a better reflection of skill if you can, def- if you if you can line two sort of bit of everything armies up against one another that have a diverse different range of units and different mm. shooting, different magic, whatever else, combat, etc. And if you can then, you know, get the right matchups for yourself on the table and all those kinds of things, and they're also seeking to do the same thing in all phases of the game, whoever wins that battle, I think there's a, there's a better reflection of skill and you get more skillful playing that kind of game than you do by lining up 10 war machines and just playing the target priority game. 
What about you, Benson? Uh, the armies that I personally enjoy, I've been loving the goblins. Um, I haven't felt the uh, fatigue with them yet. I think just because they're so diverse and uh, a bit wacky, so <laughs> they've got a lot of the um, random element which I enjoy. May not be super competitive, but I like that. Uh, Abyssal Dwarfs, I liked them before they were cool. I uh, haven't played them <laughs> for a while, so once they um, take a bit of a beating, I might pick them up again. You're a bit like and me in that if they're too cool, you tend to go yeah. off them a bit. Yeah. No. <laughs> yep. I was like that with Undead. <laughs> bit of a hipster. <laughs> uh, and Salamanders, really enjoyed the Salamanders playing them because they're just a a decent list that it's hard to make anything rubbish out of and they've got a, a little bit of everything. And in terms of the lists that I like to use, I think that depends on the army itself. Like, with the goblins, I don't really run war machines. I just try to be as annoying as I can, really. I I get my kicks out of annoying my opponent. If I make if my opponent is on the other side of the table, I'm an, I'm an anaring and kind of squirming with what I've positioned. That's my job done. I don't care if I win or lose. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make you think when I'm when uh, I'm playing you. And that's that's how I get my kicks. Uh, but with like the abyssal doors, before they were cool. I like to run speed armies, like as fast as I could. Everything was super fast, which was a bit um, uh, backwards to when you think about a dwarf-type army. Mm. Um, and, yeah, just usually, like, you guys balanced, so no more than two of a particular kind of unit. Mm-hmm. And just variety, just because it's fun to play with. I think you, we could probably blame spoon in part for um the the club that we all come from and play and have played together for many years in Mm. it's not all spoon but it was you know originally based out of his joint and uh was sort of on an invite basis from spoon and i think he tended to like players like we're we're kind of like-minded players and that we we all tend to like sort of yeah that that kind of a mixed arm list some of us lean a bit more competitive like i think um nick and viv are both a little yep. bit more competitive than yeah they can't help any it. of the three <laughs> of us uh and then like you know spoon's probably an even bigger fluff gamer than any of yep. the three of us yeah. so you know yep. like there, there's a bit of a mixture there but, but but overall yeah none of us are like just turning up with with 10 you know units of the, the nines same that are all yeah. the same or something yeah. No, yeah, we definitely self, self-comped ourselves all the way back from the Warhammer days and yeah. mm. uh, played Spoon for a long, long time and he's been exactly the same. I think the only time that he's played a pretty powerful list, I think, was in 6th edition or 5th edition Warhammer where he played a very shooty army. Um, Wasn't it his Wood Elves? That he... Wood Elves, oh, they yeah. were just awful to play against. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, that was also just Wood Elves, right? Like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, like he played them well. Uh, that was when Spoon, probably two thousand six, I think it was. He would mm. just sit back and pepper you, and then get in front of you with the bloody war dancers, and then charge you with the fast <laughs> stuff, and you'd just lose every time. <laughs> just having a think of that question again, I have noticed with my lists, I tend to run a lot of unique heroes. I just keep yeah. getting drawn to all yeah. the all the heroes. That is something you seem to be drawn to. Quite a bit, actually. Um, it's probably partially because the Gobos have a lot of cool ones. Yeah, and um, yeah. the Abyssal Dwarfs had a whole bunch of them in second edition. The Abyssal well. Dwarf ones are just bent. Yeah, um, 
<laughs> Debatably cool ones, yeah. <laughs> they get become less th- cool when they're bent, you see. It's just how it goes. Yeah, that, yeah <laughs> we're, right. we're hipsters. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's because they, they're all a bit different and wacky and it makes my opponent think a bit more. Yeah. 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 And they're, they're just, they're, they are just fun. I'm looking forward to, doing the, to playing the new Ratkin hero, even though... He he reads as like super fun because he's got the big reroll thing going on, but he's kind of the opposite of random. He like he's sort of he's in, insurance policy <laughs> against mm. bad luck. So so even though that's you'll I think love that's him cool, and hate it's, him. Yeah, it's not as fun as I'd like. I'd like him to do a bit more random nonsense. But again, that's Gruffle not. Gruffle has been fantastic. Really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's he's going to be a cool model for sure. Um, mm. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to getting him on the table. Just, just Ratkin get, leaning into that Mantic Ratkin vibe instead of the older like Warhammer Skaven vibe. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Is that all the questions that we've got, Silic? That's it. So we get asked uh, quite commonly when is our next army review. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've had some bribes trying to get certain reviews <laughs> done, but the most recent one was on YouTube actually asking when are we doing the undead review. Um, okay. I haven't, re- haven't responded back to that person just yet, but we will be putting up a survey and getting everyone to vote uh, for whatever army we do next. But we'll okay. be crossing one off shortly, I'm assuming. But I have, <laughs> I've really enjoyed the mailbag episode, and uh, I want to yeah. encourage all the listeners to write in to us. Whether it's well, we had a few from email, a few from Twitter, and a few from Facebook this time. Don't really mind uh, what. Um, medium you might use and don't expect it to be answered instantly of course you know that we have you know a pretty eclectic release schedule and and those kinds of things but the more questions we get the more encouraged we'll be to do more episodes like this if you're interested in it yep um yeah and if you want to get your direct answer you know direct question heard even if it's a bit silly or whatever or a bit of fun uh you know the more questions we get piled up the more uh, quickly we'll do a mailbag episode again hmm. And um, if we get the right questions, maybe we'll do like a life advice episode. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. I'm sure that's what King's War players need, life advice. They've already made the right choices. You know, look how many Ratkin questions we got. These people already have taste. Mm. Sure they do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes, they do. Lovely champions. (laughs) All right. We'll call it there, yeah? Yep. Okay, thanks everyone for listening and for submitting questions, most of all. And we will speak to you soon. Thanks all. See you, homies. Thank you for tuning in with my team. Make sure you follow on Facebook and Twitter. Yes, indeed, more than a game. It's a lifestyle, yes, sir. Hope you realize that the math hammer doesn't work. <laughs> we give the people what they desire. Australian war gaming podcast, direct misfire. You don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, we got plenty more. If you're ready, let's go. Stay tuned, that's for sure. Hey.